right, hello, welcome to episode 389 of Sack Kings Therapy. Uh, I am coming to you solo today after the Kings beat Minnesota again in Minnesota, uh, 124 to 120. They did so without the services of De'Aaron Fox. And, you know, they actually end up catching a break because uh, Ant went out after halftime uh, because he had a baby. Um, so, you know, congratulations to Ant. Um, let's uh, talk about the game uh, before I get too deep into it. Um, so no Fong today. He unfortunately was not able to watch the game because goddamn East Coast time, basically. There's no other way to really get around that. Um, okay, well, let's uh, talk about the game. So, I mean, this, this Kings team, they're confusing. Uh, you know, they they trick a game um, at home against a shorthanded Heat team. They get absolutely pummeled by the defending champions who basically just showed you, yeah, you, you, you hear, this is how the, this is what a real con championship contender looks like. And then... The Kings kind of took that lesson to heart, it seems, and, you know, came back strong. They knew they couldn't really drop this one. And, uh, you know, like, I was I was totally expecting them to absolutely lose this game, especially without De'Aaron Fox. But that's the story of this year's Kings. Like, they, they lose a lot of winnable games and win. And, like, honestly, there are... About what a 500s team, a slightly, like, not a great team, but like a good team, more or less does. Like, you beat the shit teams, and you go 50-50 on, like, good teams. And, you know, like, I always kind of said, like, before the Kings, before last year, basically, like, honestly, if you just beat the bad teams and you just split with the, with the good teams, like, you, you have a good chance of making the play in the playoffs. And the reason why I'm talking about that is like, you know, bef like I always try to keep things in perspective of just how bad the Kings were like a few years ago. And just think like, you know, it's painful that they're, they're losing a lot of these gimme games, but you know, it, they're, they're winning most of those in general, which is good. But it really does feel like they give away a lot of games. And it makes it so like games like these you just about can't drop. Because you have the Lakers who just won two in a row uh, against the Clippers and uh, against, what, what was it, the Wizards, um, at, um, was it, in overtime. And then you're not getting any help with the Warriors who have won their last three. And I believe they're like last, like nine of three nine of 12 if i remember right so the you have a lot of teams that are kind of creeping up there like the bottom of the plan they're creeping up there and then you know the the uh five basically five and six uh phoenix and new orleans they're not exactly losing <laughs> they're they're picking up wins so it makes it so anytime you slip you really like fall down hard and again, I was I was thinking the Kings, yeah, there's no way they win this one just because Minnesota's a good team. You don't have De'Aaron Fox. And yeah, you're going to lose this one. You're going to keep slipping down. But instead, they came up big. Uh, apparently, they had a players-only only meeting. Uh, Malik talked a little bit about it. And just talk, I think he just basically just said, like, you know, we got to stay locked in. 
Like they know the opportunity. They know what position they're in. If they, if they keep slipping and, you know, even if like the Kings slip, like they lose a game against Minnesota, it's understandable, but you really did need this game. Right. And yeah, Malik brought it. And, uh, you know, the Kings pick up a really great win. Now, now, of, of course, I guess you got to put in the caveat, like Ant didn't play in the second half. Granted, really? I was surprised he played as bad as he did. He was two for 11 uh, during during his time, uh, during his 19 minutes. Uh, but like he was, he was effective throughout the game. You felt him out there. And, uh, but the Kings would always just come back. Look, we'd have De'Aaron Fox and we came in and we came in and beat uh, the top team in the West right now. So very, very impressive win. Let's kind of just uh, get into it. So here's kind of just how some of my main notes about the game itself. So uh, the Kings make a starting lineup change. They did not start Davion Mitchell. They brought him off the bench. Uh, the Kings instead started Keon Ellis. And, you know, I, I don't I don't hate the move. I actually, like, Keon's really good. I just think it sucks for Davion that, he, you know, like, it seems like Keon is just the better choice, honestly, at this point. Because he seems to just fit in so well. Now, you look at his stats. He only played 19 minutes and, you know, one of two for two points. But, you know, he had seven assists and four steals. His 19 minutes were so impactful, in my opinion. He was, he's just, he, he on offense, he really does not do much, in, in my opinion. You know, he's not a, uh, a threat to penetrate at all. And then, like, he's a, he's a sketchy shooter. He's a good shooter, but, like, he's a guy that, like, I'm not exactly, like, thinking you can't leave that guy open. But he, they started him. He was incredibly active on defense, and he made he made plays. He it says he only has four steals, but it felt like any time like the a guy was dribbling and he's like on the same side and he reaches in with those hands, that ball that ball is going is is turn is uh, going to the Kings' side. That ball is getting knocked loose and they're getting a run out. It just felt like every time uh, it got near him, like he was going to steal it, and that seemed to juice the Kings on defense. And I talked about in the Clippers game, like the uh, De'Aaron Fox set the tone for, for the defense and like they played, the Kings played good defense for the rest of the game. And that's kind of what I felt Keon did for the Kings. So great. Just look, I love Davion. There's just no denying that Keon has an effect on the game. That's just much more profound and much more noticeable than what Davion does. So a lot of credit to Keon. He set the tone. Uh, the Kings jump out to a 18-2 lead. Either 18-4, maybe 18-4. Basically, they jumped out to a big lead, and they really played really well on defense in the first quarter. Now, in the second quarter, uh, the Kings cooled down a little bit on offense, and unfortunately, when that happens, uh, their defense starts to suffer a little bit. And even though I thought they played okay during the second quarter, the Wolves were able to take the lead, but the Kings were able to take back the lead going into halftime. But you know, the Wolves start, started to wake up on offense. And even though the Kings were given up points, I thought they were still very solid on offense. Um, anyways, uh, going into the second half, the, the Kings still played really good basketball. Now, of course, they go on like, you know, some of their sick, one of their signature droughts. But by the end of the quarter, Malik Monk started to take over. He hit, he hit a series of mid-rangers. He basically almost, I think he straight up didn't miss in the third quarter. He had four points 
in the second quarter or, or in the first half. He ended up, let's see. So James Ham has the numbers. So yeah, he had he had uh, eleven points in the third quarter, eighteen points in the fourth quarter, and six points in OT. We'll talk we'll talk more about those uh, points. But he woke up after getting into this weird scuffle with you know the cornball himself, uh, Rudy Gobert, where Rudy was talking a lot of shit for some reason. It it, it was it was weird. Like the the refs were interesting this game i'll say that they gave they it was very physical down low with him as a bonus just you know the, the arms the elbows they just get everywhere rudy was hit like playing really physical like you know throwing out his elbows a little bit like flailing with his arms a lot cat also kind of got into the act now i don't think it was malicious but he he need some bonus square in the square in the balls uh, at one point and then literally on the next play unintentionally donkey kicks Trey Lyles in the face and in just King's fashion they get a foul called on them it was just a weird really rough game so what ended up happening was uh Rudy talks a little bit of shit he I think he hits Malik like on the arm with like an elbow which angers Malik and Malik just goes off and that basically awoken the beast uh the King's it ended up leading by the end of the third, but that that lead disappears really quickly, and uh, the the Wolves basically go on their run. They start hitting like a lot of threes. The Kings looked like they were faltering a little bit, and they and yeah, like they started missing their threes. And then Malik just said, "Get on my back, and I will take you home." He ended up scoring again sixteen points in the fourth quarter. And another six in in the overtime. He was just amazing. And the favorite, my favorite thing about the fourth quarter for the Kings, they played well on defense. I thought, despite uh, giving up thirty three points, like they they kind of closed off the paint for the most part. And they were gonna dare the Wolves to make threes, and they made quite a few threes. Uh, it felt like I honestly felt like they never missed from three, but. The Kings would just come back down the court. Now, of course, there were some times where they settled for threes, but Malik got into the mid-range, got to his spots, hit floaters, hit mid-rangers, and it just felt like every time the the uh, Wolves got a little bit of momentum, Malik would just come back and shut off their water and just and just you know st stop them in their tracks, and just got good shots all throughout the game. I'll get I'll get into maybe the bigger picture of like what Malik did and what I think like what could be interesting for a playoff series, but the Kings just stayed relentless. They played hard. They, pl they were physical and they just were, and they just played well <laughs> down the stretch. And I, it was a very impressive performance. Uh, there were some bad shots and uh, it just felt like everyone except Malik down the stretch didn't want to shoot the ball. Like there was a moment where I'm just like, look, Malik is doing great. Somebody else does need to make a shot. Like, literally, he was the only guy making any shots. Keegan, I think, had one bucket, and that was it uh, outside Malik. Like, Herter couldn't make a shot. Trey Lyles, like, after just missing two wide-open pick-and-pop threes at the uh, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, started to get, kind of get the yips a little bit, started getting a little hesitant. So Malik just, just backpacked them, and then they just... Yeah, he was able to take them home. Um, the Wolves, like, they they made plays themselves. 
They made a series of threes, but the, the Kings did a good job of limiting their attempts at the rim. They did foul them a lot, though. Like, uh, Sabonis ended up fouling out. It was just it was just one of those kinds of games where they just did not get a lot of a benefit of the doubt. Like Keon got four fouls within like right as the uh, third quarter started, and he's they just weren't getting any benefit of the doubt. But credit to the Kings because they stayed they stayed the course. They played hard. They they just they got they took what was given to them, which was a lot of turnovers from the Wolves and just them conceding anything from the mid range. Like they weren't hitting threes, you know, get finishing around the rims gonna be tough uh with Rudy Gobert down there, like despite how I make fun of them. They 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 did what they needed to do, and it was a very gutsy win. Now, of course, you can harp on the fact that they missed 11 free throws. They shot 54% from the free throw line. They were 11 of 29 from three. And but they managed to outlast the uh, Wolves, who were 12 of 31 from three and hit literally twice as many free throws as the Kings. Well, just under twice. They they hit 24 free throws. But the Kings just, they played hard. They stayed the course. And it was just like a very gutsy performance without their best player. And it, it was a win that was needed. Uh, okay, let's go over some of the uh, individual players. Like Sabonis, I thought actually, like you felt him out there. Like, I definitely felt that he was out there, but I honestly thought, like, he did not play well. He struggles a little bit with the length of uh, of Rudy Gobert. Like, you know, he, he's you can't really bully Rudy Gobert. He's a big-ass dude. He's heavy, and he's ridiculously long. And then on the other side, you know, I thought, I thought, they, I thought he could have been better on Rudy, but honestly, like, you... If Rudy has the ball and he and he dares to dribble that ball, like it's it's open season for strips, basically. But like, I'd, it's gonna be a thing with Sabonis where he needs to be able to score better. Now, of course, there were just some plays where he just missed bunnies. Like it, in a series, he's going to need to be a scoring threat to in some way, and he just really struggles. Like when. It's not a skinny guy down there that he can bully. And he's not exactly a guy who's going to finish over anyone. So he's going to just need to figure something out. Like the, the way Jokic counteracts a lot of this is that he will just shoot a floater over guys. I don't know if, um, I don't know if, you know, Sabonis has that level of touch pretty much. I mean, for the most part, he, he's not going to have that level of touch, but like try it. And I want to see what that looks like. And the other part is that I, I don't know. Like, whenever he gets double teamed, I'm always just very underwhelmed by how he's able to pass out of it if it's not like a like a really – if it's not a guy who who cuts who, – who gets a wide-open cut. Um, there was one play in overtime, the, the play where he fouled out. Like, he gets – I think McDaniel switched on to him, and he attacks. But clearly, you know – or no, I think he attacks Rudy – but clearly McDaniels is helping on him and he needs to get that pass out to Keegan. Like, you know, you sucked in the defense and you pass it to Keegan. You're going to get an, you're going to get a good shot They're, Like either he shoots it or like they swing it around for a three. He needs to find that pass or just because he ends up getting, he ends up getting blocked, I think. And then he fouls out. Like he needs to figure out a way to truly be effective late in the game. He ended up getting a, 
a, a very a crucial, I think, a loose ball foul towards the end. But it's just what it's just one of those things where like he needs to find a way to impact the game later on instead of just you know rebounding and setting screens <laughs> like and doing dribble pitches. He needs to be a threat to score, and that's the next level. Uh, so we'll see if that happens. Um, Harrison, I thought was pretty pretty good. Um, you know, he he hit he hit a really big shot over Mike Conley late. I th- I just think he needs to just get into his bag a little bit more. He's good at like some of these ISO shots. Like, you know, at, sometimes just attack the guy that you have on him. Like they have Mike Conley on him. You're taller, you're bigger, you're stronger. You know, just you know, try to put him try to put him a little bit in the torture chamber for some help if you need to and pass it back out. He's really good. So that's the only thing. Keegan, I thought was really good. There is a real thing where, like, the Kings do need to do a better job of, like, finding him within the flow of the offense. He, like, spe- like specific- specifically, like, in the second half, when the offense kind of devolves into a lot of iso ball, like, with De'Aaron and, Ma- and Malik. But you didn't have De'Aaron this game, so, like, find a way to involve him and Malik together to create a good shot. Like, he didn't get a lot of shots, like, down the stretch, if I remember right. And I thought like that he could have alleviated some of that pressure on Malik because like there was a chance like Malik could have gassed out and you, you have another very dynamic score. Now I'm not saying like, you know, you know, run him, you know, run, like run a clear out five out ISO for him or like run him in the post and like have him try to like attack in the post. He, his handle just isn't there yet, but there's a, there has to be a way to involve him. Like, you know, late late in the game, like with some sort of action off Sabonis, you know. But uh, overall, really good game by Keegan. Uh, Herder, I thought, was actually good for the most part, even though he was 3 of 12. You know, like, defenses will still guard him. And, like, he just needs to hit his open shots. Didn't really do that this game. And this game could have been over, like, had he just hit one or two more threes. But it is what it is. I still think he is he's good when he's out there. <laughs> Kiana already talked about really affected the game on the defensive end and just it just helps on an offense does not get in the way and just makes the next pass it, he's just not a problem and you know unfortunately like you know he's just providing more than what Davion is providing even though Davion was very good this game Davion had 16 points and how he did it was that he just attacked the rim and I don't know if he can actually replicate this against like bigger defenders because they had Jordan McLaughlin out there quite a bit and he just attacked him pretty relentlessly relentlessly just got by him with ease and then just finished around the rim like seven of eight in this game for 16 points is very impressive for Davion so yeah like even though Davion had a really good game on offense he he definitely provides a driving game that Keon simply does not have but the way that Keon affects the defense and the way he's able to exist like seamlessly in the offense uh while he's out there it's tough to justify playing davion more minutes but davion was very good this game gotta give credit to him uh trey lyles he was a he he made plays but man like he's cooled down from three uh since his like crazy hot star where i think he shot like 49 percent at one point during the season there were there was just two his two missed threes were wide open and he just needs to hit those um but the kings like you know they they just they just don't hit that many threes on the road i feel i think it might be a road a, a home road type thing but uh 
you know, I, I thought I thought he was effective. Okay, uh, jump over to the um, Minnesota side. Anthony Edwards was, I thought, effective despite shooting two for 11. It, it is kind of annoying watching him sometimes because every time he goes to the rim, he just screams out, hey, like every single time. It's so annoying. Like at a certain point, like you didn't get fouled. And he just, and there were some moments where like there was a lot of contact, but no foul. It, 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 again, weirdly refed game. Um, again, had to leave at halftime because of his newborn baby. Jay McDaniels, now it says he had 26 points. And he was 9 for 11 and 5 for 7 from 3. I'll be honest, didn't really feel him out there all that much. I, I, I felt like he hit, he hit a lot of threes. That, that was definitely noticeable. And his defense is definitely effective. But I honestly really didn't feel him out there. Like, you know, one of the things that, um, one of the advantages of, ha of just having De'Aaron play is that you can take him off of Malik. But Malik was able to actually like utilize uh, screens to kind of you know to kind of shed himself from Jane McDaniel. So uh, probably a good game from him. Uh, he probably did a lot of things, but I didn't really feel him out there. On the other hand, you definitely felt when Rudy Gobert is out there. Like he he's an incredible rim protector, despite like you know how much I make fun of him. Although I feel like he has warts on that end. His main ward is that he is not a good offensive player. I don't care what anybody says. If he is not like just dunking the ball or just like doing a, a you know, a, basically a layup, he is widely ineffective as an offensive player. It says he only has one turnover. I mean, it felt like he had way more, although I thought he was actually kind of good on that end of not getting stripped. But he's just a guy that just does not have good hands and is very clumsy on the offensive end. At one point, he tried to destroy Sabonis, like posterize him, but ended up missing the dunk. <sighs> but, you know, I can't deny his effectiveness on defense, even though 1,000%, it does not justify him being this fucking cocky. Like, with Draymond, I can understand. Like, that dude, like, really turns it up on offense, or on defense, I mean, and can really lock down, like, one through five. Rudy does not have that effect for me. Like, I know some people, like, you know, always argue, like, well, he does this, he does that. I'm just, I'm not that impressed by his defense. His defense is very, very good. Don't get me wrong. But, like, to justify just how cocky he can get, like, I'm just, eh. Like, just dial that back a little bit. Like, you know, you know, I think his, I think his teammates will put up with it now. But if they are, if they start losing and like the vibes start to go bad, he, that shit can really wear. I'll just say. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, what do I have to say about him? Good offensive player. He is a little wonky on that end. Like it just feels like every time he goes to the rim and doesn't make the shot, he always just screams for a foul, and you know, it get it starts to get into his head a little bit. Um. I, I don't know. Like you, you, you want to talk about like three point shooters? I never trust. It, he he shot one for six this game, and it just he he probably shoots like forty something percent. Let me just check really quickly. Uh, he is shooting, yeah, forty three percent from three. But like as I said with Harrison Barnes, he's not a forty three percent shooter. Where like I always think he's gonna miss the next shot. Maybe it's something just with how janky his shot is. Like it's he literally doesn't jump on his shot. Um, I don't know. Like I just never trust this three. I just never trust this three pointer. 
And of course, just, just had some really weird turnovers. There was a turnover, I think, in the fourth quarter where for no reason whatsoever, just chucks the ball like <laughs> out of bounds, like just throws the ball to Nas Reed. It ends up being too high and it ends up being a terrible turnover. I just don't know what he's doing sometimes. Like he is a guy that is going to be the weak link on like, no matter how well he plays on offense, will just do stupid shit to to like cost the wolves the game it, i don't know if that's something that's overcomable for the wolves we'll see mike conley um not as effective um from this game although i will say he had some really nice like right-handed like hanging in the air scoop shots other than that he didn't really didn't really hit a lot of threes but i will say this about him he is the guy i'm always most afraid of like I know Ant didn't play this game, but I remember like back in Sacramento, like when they played, Ant was not the guy I was most afraid of because he is very vulnerable to doing stupid shit or getting into stupid mode where like, you know, he gets trapped and will just throw the ball away or take ridiculously tough shots. Mike Conley is the guy that neutralizes a lot of that stupid. He'll get into a pick and roll with Rudy Gobert. He'll find the open guy. He'll pass it to Rudy if there's an opening. He is the guy that I am most scared of, of making the right play and getting the team a score. So, you know, just, you know, not a not a perfect game from him, but I thought he was still very good and just solid overall. He did get hit by Sabonis on a screen and ended up having to kind of go out of the game for a little bit. But I love Mike Conley. He is the guy that, like, makes this team competent, basically. Uh, the last, last guy I'll quickly talk about is uh, Nas Reed. Nas is an interesting guy. A, a lot of people love Nasri because he's basically kind of the seven foot wing who, you know, like is seven feet tall, is pretty nimble, and can do a lot of stuff like that wings do. I will say, I'm not that impressed with some of the things. Now, of course, he's seven feet and able to do that. Now, that's impressive, but he is not a guy that actually like goes to the rim with force. Now, I, I was listening to Bomani Jones uh, on the right time. And he said that there is a difference between big men and tall guys. The, the Wolves, despite having three seven-footers, and they, by the way, they played a three seven-footer lineup that didn't really work. <laughs> but, like, they have a lot of these tall guys. And Nas Reed is a tall guy who doesn't, like, straight bully guys. At least not this game. Like, he's more of a guy that relies on his quickness and just shooting over guys. He's not going to, like, you know, put you in the in the grinder and, like, back you down, really. He's not, he's not that type of player. And he ended up just throwing up a lot of these really weird, weak shots where he just doesn't finish around the rim very well. So, interesting guy. And an interesting lineup that the Wolves played where, they, again, they had three seven-footers, but really didn't punish the Kings as much as you might think three seven-footers against a bunch of, like, six-two guards. Uh, against, like, Malik Monk at the point guard and, like, a bunch of guys around six, like, six-seven. Like, you would think a bunch of seven-footers would be able to abuse. Like, it, it really is a correct term to describe big men and uh, tall guys. The Wolves played three tall guys, and unfortunately, none of them really punish you on the boards the way that they should. Like, you know, Rudy Gobert is gigantic, right? Does not have good hands and is very vulnerable to getting stripped. Nas Reed doesn't really rebound like that. And Carl Anthony Towns is, 
you know, constantly camped out at the three-point line. He just, just doesn't rebound like that. So, it, yeah, so that's kind of my thought on Nas Reed. Like, it's really interesting because he can do a lot of this stuff while being seven feet tall. I'm not, th- like, I'm not that crazy impressed with just what he's able to do, if that makes any sense. Although, it, it is very intriguing. And in a different situation where you can maybe, like, run more offense through him, maybe you could abuse that a little bit more. But not in the, surprisingly enough, they did not really punish the Kings for being small. Hi, listeners. We have partnered with HYV Designs to bring you a discount on their store. Please go to etsy.com slash shop slash H-Y-V-D-E-S-I-G-N-S and use promo code SKT15 on checkout to get a 15% discount on their items. They have everything from King's Light the Beam memorabilia to BTS light sticks to Genshin Impact coasters and much more. Check out their store on Etsy.com and use promo code SKT15 on checkout to get a 15% discount. Link in the description. So, yeah, that's kind of Minnesota in a nutshell. Although, you know, caveat, they did not have Anthony Edwards this game. And you would assume that he would be the guy to take over down the stretch and probably win this game. But, you know, again, Kings could easily counter back with like, well, you have De'Aaron Fox. Or in a perfect world, we we would have De'Aaron Fox to take us home as well. So, uh, not that much you can really take away from this matchup. Just because neither team was at full strength, clearly. And... Like, I'll say this, the Thunder and the Wolves are going to be the mark. Now, of course, you might not want to play, well, in order to play the Thunder and the Wolves, they are currently the number one and number two seed, which means you would have to be the seventh or the eighth seed, as opposed to the five and the six. If you're the seventh or the eighth seed, you're going to have to go through the play-in, and I don't know if I want to actually put... I don't, I don't know if the Kings want to put themselves through that. I don't know if I want to live through that either, just because there's, that's going to be so much stress. And especially if you're going to be facing, you know, the, the Warriors and the Lakers. I mean, talk about a coin flip, you know, of who's going to win that. It's a dangerous game to be playing. But I will say, Minnesota does not scare me in the playoffs. Now, of course, with, with the force of nature that is Anthony Edwards, the calculus would be different. But the Kings particularly like even Malik, just Malik himself. He showed you kind of what the weakness is with the Wolves is that they don't, like Rudy Gobert will drop. And, you know, if you kind of just are able to get um, Jane McDaniel screened off properly, you can abuse uh, Rudy Gobert in that mid-range area, like with floaters and mid-range pull-ups. And, you know, if you can get a certain angle on him, you can finish around him. Now, now of course, the, like, just again, with, like, with Anthony Edwards, that's another defender that's going to be really hard to actually be able to screen off. So, like, that's a whole nother thing. And if they don't, if the Wolves don't clean up their turnover issues, like, they did, like how they did this game, the Kings could be open, it could be open season for to just absolutely just, you know, crush them on that end. Because... You know, you can get so many easy shots by just, you know, just being really active on the defensive end. And while the Kings do struggle a lot of the time, uh, you know, to force turnovers, like this is a team that is so vulnerable to it that I think if like if the Kings really just lock in, 
they can force a lot of turnovers and just you know turn this into and turn this into a really fast-paced game which they are not really um equipped to be able to really deal with the, the wolves that is so it, it's it'll be an interesting matchup um you know I listened to the Day Moore show today, a Minnesota podcast. He did it with Brendan Nunes, and they talked about a possible matchup. And yeah, Day Moore is worried about kind of the speed of of the Kings, and also just kind of that you know that pick and roll um, issue that they're going to run in with, run into in the playoffs. So yeah, like after watching this game, I'm like, I mean, I don't want to play the Nuggets, of course. Don't really want to play the Clippers. And then, like, you don't want to play the Pelicans. Now, the Suns, I would be very interested in playing. But then, like, after that, it's a it's a bit of a coin toss. Like, the Mavericks, do you really want to bet, put, put your money on be, being able to beat Luka and, the, and Kyrie? That's a very dangerous proposition for the Kings. So, you know, I will say, like, the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be the mark for me if, if, I'm, if I'm, like, just picking matchups. Because... They have weaknesses that are exploitable. And, you know, Ant does change a lot of that, but I don't, but they will still exist. And if the Kings could actually like attack it properly, they could make it a series and possibly even win. Like I'm I'm that I'm that sketchy about the Wolves. Um Okay. Uh what else do I need to talk about in this game? Um, okay, so last thing I'll talk about uh the Kings. So uh, the Kings will rest or will go home on Monday to face the Bulls. That is the definition of a trap game because it's the first game back at home. We've seen how the Kings can just absolutely shit the bed. Why is Milwaukee and Chicago playing right now? It's late as hell on the East Coast right now, probably. That's so weird. And like, man, Clippers and, uh, well, I guess that's a 730 game. That that's weird. Uh, yeah, there's still games going on right now while I'm uh, recording. So, yeah, just uh, just a just a little note there. But yeah, we've seen how the Kings can really just struggle to make shots in their first game back at home. And yeah, the Bulls look like look like barbecue chicken. But we've seen how Kings do against barbecue chicken teams. They can't blow that type of game. And while they did win this game, and it gives the Kings fans a lot of confidence. We know how this goes a lot of the time. Let's see if they can buck that trend and just pick. you need all the wins you can get because you then I think face the Lakers next. Let me check really quickly. I should, I should have that page up. I don't know why my nose just all of a sudden start starts plugging up while I'm recording. It's so annoying. So yeah, you play the Lakers uh and LA next. And then you're gonna be you're gonna be doing a six game six game homestand where you have the Spurs, the Rockets, the Bucks, the Lakers, the Knicks, and the Grizzlies. So on paper, very winnable games. But again, you just can't afford to trick off any games right now. You just need every single win. Again, the Warriors are breathing down your necks, uh, and and the Lakers are breathing down your necks. You are now only uh two games ahead of those guys uh from dropping the nine to ten now i will calm down naysayers like or doomsayers where like oh the kings are gonna miss the playoffs they'll still be in the plan it seems like utah has kind of phoned it in houston is doing terrible now like they are nowhere near missing the playoffs straight up they'll probably at least end up being the 10 seed at worst by the end of the season 
So, you know, if you were worried about the Kings missing the playoffs, it will be through losing in the play-in, if that's any solace for you. But, uh, yeah, so the Kings, my, my point is, the Kings cannot afford to lose any games. They, they just need to keep pace with, you know, the red-hot Warriors, the mildly hot Lakers, and the Mavericks, they're a very nasty team right now. New Orleans, they're inconsistent, but they're dangerous. And then Phoenix, they're also dangerous. And you know, one one win here, and then a loss, and then a loss here for a, for one of these teams. Like you, all of a sudden, shoot up, shoot up the standings, and you just really hope that you don't have to play the play in because that's just so much more stress that you have to deal with, so much more possibility for some bullshit. You just want to avoid all that. So the Kings, you know, the rest of the rest of the way, they got this one big one. They they go three and two in in this stretch. They they got they got to finish the job, okay. All right. Um, what else do I want to quickly talk about? I do want to talk about the Rock promo that he cut on Instagram on his phone on Twitter or whatever. I have not listened to that whole promo. I've heard it's very good. I will give my thoughts on the next episode. Um, I guess last thing we'll quickly talk about. Uh, AEW Revolution is this Sunday or Saturday? I don't even fucking remember. I think it's Sunday. I, I'm pretty excited for it, particularly for one match, uh, the Sting retirement match. And the only reason why I'm really excited for it is because I've been just like listening to Fightful, and Fightful, like they're they're you know historians, and they've watched like basically Sting's entire career. I really, I'm really into the idea of just go, just literally playing all the sting hits now for those of you that aren't like kind of nerds about um sting like he just has such a rich history of just so much random funny uh weird like cool stuff for those of you that don't know for example like there's the the biggest the biggest the best point of his career when he turned into the crow and then like he was the most over guy for like a year where he was going to dethrone Hulk Hogan, um, you know, the NWO. It, there was a, it was an 18-month storyline where, it, in a way, they kind of built him up kind of like Cody, in a way. He was just as over as Cody, you could argue, um, where it's just a really long, 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 long storyline with a really bad payoff, of course. But, like, he has a lot of these moments. And so, like, for example... Like, he had a weird thing with RoboCop. And, like, Sean Ross Sapp suggested, like, you, you just got to play the biggest hits. You, you, you bring out RoboCop for some reason. Maybe RoboCop gets involved in the match. You bring out Ric Flair. He has a lot of history with Ric Flair. You have Ric Flair turn on Sting one more time. Or, hell, help Sting for once, I guess. And then there's also the idea of just bringing back fake Sting. Like, that would be so funny and just so awesome. You got fake Sting. You can bring up the Joker. Joker Sting. There's just so many weird possibilities. There's even the possibility of the uh, of the Young Bucks just spray tanning themselves to oblivion. Now, for those of you guys that don't know, in Star K97, they did a really stupid finish where Sting, like, gets pinned. And they don't do a clean finish. It basically... Imagine it's almost like the Cody loss to Roman where you build the storyline for Sting to beat Hulk Hogan and then he just loses. Now they they weirdly like 
they really do a storyline where he quote unquote gets screwed and then they restart the match and he wins it so they kind of make up for it but like it should have just been sting winning the match uh, so anyways there's that story but then like a after after the fact like eric bischoff like hulk hogan they've done so many podcasts about like why sting didn't go over and one of the things that caught on with the with the internet wrestling community the iwc is that the they they came, they looked at sting and he was and they said one one of the reasons why he they he they didn't feel like he should go over at star k97 he didn't he wasn't tan enough so it, it basically there sean ross Sapp suggests that they should do a, they should like run on that joke and just have the young bucks just get really 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 tan and th that would just be so funny just play all the hits with sting that he's there he's gonna have to do a tag team match with a darby allen and darby allen to face the young bucks just do all the bullshit, all the greatest hits and just make this the funniest like match ever you know have like tony shivani like explain on commentary for those that aren't in the know like i think uh oshi was it oshi uh um jackson jr like he makes a good point like AEW does not do a good job of explaining a lot of like the the indie storylines that let's be honest most casual fans do not know about the history the storylines and all that you know, just you, you can I imagine you can do a good job of explaining it. I feel like I explained it okay. Like, you know, they're they're professionals. So I, I am kind of excited. I will actually watch a revolution live. So just for that match. I know like, you know, Hangman Swerve and Samoa Joe are gonna have an incredible match. I'm here for all the sting shenanigans. Run the greatest hits. You gotta do it. Okay. Well, that's all I have on my mind today. Sorry for kind of the weird jumble mess uh, that was this uh, podcast. Just got a little rambly, had a lot of thoughts. Uh, Fong does really, I guess, help me settle myself just by being able to take breaks, <laughs> essentially, between talking. But uh, yeah, he's not here today. So the ramp, you, you get rambly, Owen. That's just how it works. Okay. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, I won't, well, I won't be talking to you guys until Monday. So that's when I will see you guys back. Uh, hopefully Fong will be here with me. It will be back on Western time at 7 PM, like how all games should start. So yeah, he should be able to make that podcast. We will see. Okay. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys back on the next one.